are listening to America's Healthcare Challenge with Sean McGuire. Join the conversation at 402-342-1290 or at 800-577-1290. Once again, direct from the American heartland, here's your host, Sean McGuire. Welcome back to America's Healthcare Challenge. Thanks for sharing part of your day. Maybe you're listening on LinkedIn. Uh, we're getting quite a community uh, checking us out on LinkedIn. I post these segments. Uh, just check out the Edie Bellis page on there as well. We're joined by our uh, expert contributor in the insurance industry. Might have to call you the in- insurance authority, uh, Stuart uh, Slonen from SIG Consulting down in sunny Florida. We're covering some of these issues for the second half of the ACA, glancing ahead to the next year. And uh, next up on our list, Stuart, if you're still there, is um, healthcare deductibles climbing out of reach. We've kind of touched on that a little bit, but care to comment on it, that anymore? Yes, I do. <clears throat> Just as people take a look at their auto insurance and their homeowners insurance and have found over the years that moving away from first dollar, or no deductible or low deductible to higher deductibles have helped them to, uh, to control their costs. Now, since the advent of medical savings accounts uh, in August of 1992, the population uh, that is now the, the baby boomers, uh, the generation uh, Xers, the generation uh, Ys before them, have now grown up with this whole consumer-driven health care methodology in terms of using high deductibles and some type of funding account as a way to offset the high uh, you know, uh, costs you know, of health insurance. So you're seeing a preponderance of HSA, flexible spending accounts, health reimbursement account type accounts attached to high deductible health plans as a way to offset some of these costs. You, do you and I ad- think the trend is going to continue. Do you advocate that approach? Yes, I do. Cool. Because from a risk management stand- standpoint, the individual is able to budget what their out-of-pocket expenses potentially could be for a year. And instead of having that first-dollar responsibility uh, being on top of, of an insurance company, uh, it's it's coming from their funding account, which gives them first-dollar reimbursement for their out-of-pocket expenses and a tax deduction for using these funding accounts. Do you think that's a good— Much more cost-effective. Sure. Do you, and, and then also, what about for employers? Is that a good strategy as well? Or to offer Yes, it is. Okay. The only major problem that we face— and I'm talking about the large employer marketplace, uh, and it's probably a subject of another conversation we'll have down the road, Sean, is the Cadillac tax. Yeah. The Cadillac tax is a tax that large employers, 100 lives and above, uh, are going to be subject to if what they provide uh, is, is uh, high-quality, high-cost health insurance. If the individual's uh, cost is... Uh, $10,000, $10,200, and then the family's coverage uh, is $27,400. If those numbers are achieved in an offering of an employer-sponsored plan, that employer is going to be subject to a 40% penalty tax. And that's the big problem that we have. The problem is if, in fact, these these funding accounts are cost-effective, what the IRS and, and uh, HHS and Department of Labor are telling us, that that may also be included in the calculation for the, for the uh, Cadillac tax. That's going to impact us big time. So Wait that while we're moving now 
to these high deductible plans and using funding accounts effectively for those that are doing that, you know, we we stand the, the problem of what happened in 2018 when we're faced with the potential of this Cadillac tax. Wait, you're saying if somebody wants that that the potential of, of, of doing the strategy you just illustrated two minutes ago uh, with mm-hmm. the, uh, could be thrown in under the Cadillac tax potentially? Yes. Hmm. I oh. have listened uh, and been a part of uh, many conference calls with large uh, uh, consulting firms around the country who serve as very large employer groups. And the the bottom line thinking right now is that all of these funding accounts, uh, if the employer contributes X dollars in these funding accounts, whatever the contribution is could be added to premium. And if those premiums reach those two levels, the 27000 and change for family, the 10000 plus for individual, then that employer is subject to the Cadillac tax. Uh, just to give you a, 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 an indication of how important this is, the Internal Revenue Service about three weeks ago just opened up a comment period looking for people's comments about what they think about the inclusion of funding accounts in the computation for the Cadillac tax. Mm-hmm. So along with us waiting for a decision on the Supreme Court, a uh, decision on, on Obamacare in June, it's possible we may get a reading from the three federal agencies in terms of what their position is on the Cadillac tax for funding accounts. That's something we're going to have to monitor because that's a total game changer. You know, I didn't even know that, Stuart. So you heard it here yeah. first on America's Healthcare Challenge. Uh, Stuart Sloan joining us, guest contributor from uh, SIG Consulting. And uh, we're talking about the employer uh, marketplace uh, and individual marketplace. But um, uh, we kind of covered what the results of employer-sponsored health coverage at the market uh, at the workplace. You touched on it a little bit. Are you fa- are are you seeing uh, you know th- those those employers that are being proactive and complying with the law and offering a plan? Maybe they didn't before. Are the people taking it? Well, again, the people the people are taking it, and again, uh, if they don't take it, <clears throat> then they're not eligible for Obamacare, uh, and if they do get uh, some assistance from Obamacare, then the employer is going to be subject to a penalty. If they don't offer, so it's yeah. Kind of a, yeah. It's kind of a catch-22. The, the, the preferred approach for the single individual is to take a look at their, their employer offering first, because it's going to be more beneficial than individual coverage in Obamacare. The reason for that is you always have better protection in group than you do for individual. <laughs> I agree with that. Just because there's more lives, you can spread the risk out, right? Is that kind of yep. the simplest way to explain it? Yep. Uh, let's see. Next up, we got wages. Wages a big story. Several states voting to raise the minimum wage, are ours included. Um, what do you think's uh, happening with that? Uh, what's your thoughts? Well, again, you've got a gap here between you know wages paid and what the employees are, are being pay uh, have to pay, you know, for their health care coverage. That is the big challenge in this upcoming presidential election, and I think if you if you watch uh, the news media, they've already uh, touted this as uh, one of one of the issues that the Democrats are bringing forth. So that's going to be a big issue, uh, you know, wage increases uh, and uh, the power of unions and right to work states. Uh, all of those are going to be 
very, very key issues in the upcoming uh, presidential election. Have you dealt with many unions during your, your career? Yes, I have. I've represented Taft-Hartley Union Plans uh, since February of, of uh, 1992. So I'm familiar with it from the inside. I'm familiar with the logic, uh, but I'm also familiar with the several different ways in which Taft-Hartley plans uh, are made available to the public. So, yes, I'm, I'm very familiar with that. Do you think um, roles of unions are going to stay the same or uh, diminish or get stronger? Well, I think the union movement, per se, I think you have about 30 percent uh, union participation as compared to uh, to the 1970s. So there's been a tremendous drop in terms of membership in unions, uh, the power of unions. Uh, and, I, and I think the take-up rate of union plans uh, has been much less than, than in the past. I think because of that, uh, you're seeing a lot of these Taft-Hartley uh, plans that have uh, welfare benefit plans uh, associated with them are opening up their doors because the average age of those are in the mid-50s. And obviously they're looking for new blood to, uh, to reduce the cost and the age uh, average age of uh, of their participants. Mm. So yeah, I mean it's uh it's it's kind of an open door out there today. That's another offering in the benefits marketplace. Yeah. Uh we got last uh, point here we've got um we'll have to punt the, the 11th one uh, to the next time but uh, hospital costs uh shifting uh from to private pay patients um why, why is that? Major problem. And the major problem is that uh, studies found that hospitals make up shortfalls from one payer uh, with charging higher prices to another. So the hospitals charge private insurers more because public programs pay less, and that's known as cost shifting. So uh, if Medicare does not pay its full share of these costs, the hospital is forced to offset the loss with higher prices demanded of private insurers, and that's what's happening. So hospital costs are are um, uh, are, are getting higher, uh, the change is, is a response to whatever the local marketplace is. Hospitals that face little competition are less efficient to have higher costs. With few competing hospitals to turn to, private insurers have little choice but to pay the higher cost. And I think you indicated you're seeing that uh, in your marketplace, Sean. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I guess we do have time for, for one more co- point because we're just going to take it up to the top of the hour here. Uh, the danger zone, highway to the danger zone, brand name prescriptions. Uh, what's going on with that? Well, uh, everyone thought that uh, when you when you have generic drugs, the generic drugs are are down to uh, four dollars. You know, uh, for the generic drugs, life would be wonderful. The fact is, you have a lot of brand name drugs that lost their patents in 2012, hmm. and so now these these brand name drugs, uh, you know, are are being priced higher because there's no competition. In the in the generic world, and that 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 has forced a 13 percent uh, increase in the cost of prescription medication during this first quarter alone. That's one of the highest components, of course, we've seen so far in 2015. I think of uh, my favorite whipping boy. I guess you could call it uh, on that point, Stuart, would be um, the uh, Nexium, that that uh, purple uh, heart heartburn pill. You know what I'm talking yep. about. Because <laughs> you could get Prilosec over the counter that basically does the same thing for a fraction of the price, but I bet yeah, that's gone the, up even more, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. And again, it's this whole trend that the brand name drugs 
you know, have lost their patents. Uh, so now it's, you know, it's, it's a question that the generics don't have enough seed money to develop lookalike, yeah. you know. That's what I was wondering. Why, if they don't have their patents, why doesn't a generic company come in and try and make that? Well, it just must be super expensive to develop a drug, huh? And, and it's also the time it takes, you know, to perfect it, get FDA approval, and come to market. You know, the minimum is two years. Interesting. Interesting. Plus, I think it's $275,000 is the minimum cost, you know, for, for those uh, drug trials. You know, any advice for anybody as they as are going through their insurance exercises uh, each year um, on, on this issue of uh, prescriptions and formularies? Yes. My suggestion to everybody is hit the web, uh, do your shopping on the web, and look for providers uh, for, uh, for, you know, equivalents. Uh, on the web, and you'll find uh, what you're looking for. But you have to you have to do your research. All right, that was Stuart Slonin uh, from State Consulting. Thanks for joining us uh, this week, Stuart. We'll have to have you back again. Enjoyed it. All Thanks, right, Sean. we'll catch you later. Uh, thanks again for for joining us here on the, on the program. Again, you can check out this show and others on our Facebook page. Uh, just search America's Healthcare Challenge. I put them all up there usually, and you can find our SoundCloud page as well that has all of the, all of the segments and our uh, our Twitter page as well plenty of ways to get in touch with us at Edie Bellis and our program and uh, we'll see you here next week as we uh, look further into these issues maybe talk about a little bit of wellness maybe talk about um, some of these things uh, with uh, changing reimbursement and others and I'll look forward to it and seeing you next time mm-hmm.